Let me ask you a couple of questions first. Um, have you ever had, and I'm not asking for you to say yes or no, just think about it. Have you ever had a, uh, a prayer and a time and uh, a, an experience in the presence of the Lord to the point where you would be able to say, as the psalmist says in Psalm 93, verse 20, uh, 73, verse 25, that uh, one day in his presence, oh, excuse me, that's uh, Psalm, I got, you know, I, got, I got to look at my own writing. Psalm 84, verse 10. One day in his presence is better than thousands elsewhere. Thousands. And, you know, just two thousands comes to about nine years in something or over nine years, 10 years in something. Yep, 10 years in something. A thousand days is what? Uh, three years, give or take. <coughs> so you have 2,000 would be six, six years, six years. So how would you be willing to give up six years of your life for one day in the presence of God? And I know I'm not asking for a response, but I, normally you'd get some kind of response like from that. Or the one I was about to, to talk about in, in uh, Psalm 73, verse 25, which is, to whom, whom, whom do I have in heaven except you, Lord? And being with you, I desire nothing on earth. Have you ever had an experience where you were with the Lord in the presence of the Lord in prayer and could say, uh, being with you, I don't, I don't, and not only do I but don't have, care if I have anything, it's I don't desire anything else. Have you ever had that experience with the Lord? Okay. So I believe that that experience with the Lord you can have that kind of presence on earth and understand that God is with you on earth and have you enjoy the presence of God on earth. But the psalmist isn't talking about that, I believe. The psalmist is talking about going into praise and worship and valuing God to the point where you're in his presence and you one day is better than thousands elsewhere. Amen? Okay. Now, I've also discovered that in the Word of God, there is a preparation in going into His presence. Now, it won't take, doesn't take long if you know what you're doing, if you know what's happening. But, but it says so in the Word, so if it says so in the Word, then I think it's important. And there are a number of what I call protocols, if you would. We were talking, we were singing a Christmas song when we first came. Let every heart prepare him room. How do you prepare to receive uh, him room? You know, the baby Jesus, we're talking about Christmas song, right? And there's a preparation to go into the presence of the Lord. First on the list, 
faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is impossible to please God without faith. So your first protocol to going into his presence is faith. It says in Romans 4, it is of faith that it might be by grace. So faith enters into grace. You cannot have the grace of God without faith. So you come into his presence by grace, by faith and grace. There are a number of other things in Hebrews, the fourth, that fourth chapter, chapter, it says this. It says that we have a high priest that is Jesus Christ that uh, is intercedes on our behalf. We have a high priest that is touched with the feelings of our infirmity that we may obtain in prayer uh, an audience with God that we that we may receive grace and help and t- grace to help in time of need. Right? You have grace to help in time of need. Well, what is that? We have a high priest. Why would it say that in Hebrews if it wasn't important for us to realize that we have a high priest that's interceding on our behalves, behalf? That Jesus Christ is that high priest. We are called to be priests. We are called to offer up the sacrifices of praise. It says in, in 1 Peter 2.9, uh, it says how we are his chosen people. We are called. We are a peculiar people, means a people of his own. And that we are a royal priesthood. Very important. when you Even the word royal is very important. We are individually a royal priest. What does royal mean? It means that, that we are, have been dressed in a kingly way. That when the royal priesthood went into the Holy of Holies, they would be dressed in a kingly way. We are dressed under king. What's our, what's our dress in a kingly way? We have the robes of righteousness. He was made sin that uh, I might be made, that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we have been made righteous. You cannot go into the holy of holies if you're not righteous, but your righteousness is in Christ. He was made sin with your sin that you might be made the righteousness of God. What does that righteousness produce? It produces an apparel. Remember, we are preparing to go into the presence of the Lord. So how is we preparing? We got to get dressed in royal apparel. And what's our royal apparel? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It, we're washed by the blood that we have the robes of righteousness on. And so we can come into his holy presence by the blood. And that's what it says. While ago I say we have a royal priesthood that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That royal priesthood, it says we come boldly into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. Later on in Hebrews ten nineteen, it says that we can come boldly, almost the same wording as that for, we can come boldly into the presence of God that we may, or that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into the Holy of Holies. You know, this is, this is something particularly interesting. I just had a, uh, 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 conversation with Pastor Norm two days ago. And, um, 
or I've had several for that matter in this past week. And I mentioned this one thing that I'd heard in a sermon, and I believe I can see it verified in in the, the book of Hebrews, but it was originally by Aaron Baxter. And when he says, not by the blood of goats and calves, but Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption for us, that is not talking about the tabernacle of Moses. It is also not talking about the tabernacle of David. Both of them were tabernacles that were on earth. But when the tabernacle of Moses was made, according to Hebrews, Moses was given a pattern for him to make a, build a tabernacle that was after the pattern that is in heaven. It says that in the book of Hebrews. And so when he says that Jesus came into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, by his own blood, not by the blood of goats and cows, but his own blood into the Holy of Holies, he isn't talking about Moses' tabernacle. He's talking about the tabernacle that is in heaven, where you have the outer court, the inner court, and and the Holy of Holies. And now that's kind of interesting, because why would you, and and, and this is a a statement that Aaron Baxter made in his sermon, a, a renowned teacher in the body of Christ. And he made this statement. He said, the sin of Adam was so severe that it corrupted and polluted all the way up to the throne of God. That was pretty serious. Why did we say that? Because he goes into the Holy of Holies with his blood. And it talks about how he's sprinkling it in the book of Hebrews. And it says he cleansed the holy utensils of worship. You know, I was just um, um, reading. You got to read uh, Daniel, the fifth chapter. You just got to read this. I'm going to preach on it someday. But for those of you who know the Bible a little bit, and you may know it very well for that matter. Uh, and you know instantly what Daniel, the fifth chapter is about. For those of you that may know it just a little bit, you may know it when I say it's about the writing on the wall. And then what's the writing on the wall? Belshazzar, Belshazzar has this, uh, Belshazzar, I should say, Belshazzar has this, uh, he's just been king, and he has this really great big party, and he invites 1,000 of his lords. His father, Belshazzar, was uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar died. And so he's throwing this big party because he's now king. And uh, what does he do? He, he uh, invites uh, all of his wives and concubines in, and he's making a big deal out of that. And then he says, well, this isn't good enough. Go and take the golden goblets and the golden uh, silver vessels and the golden vessels, and from that Nebuchadnezzar stole from the tabernacle or from Israel, from Jerusalem, the, that were in the tabernacle, right? So he's taking it and he says, let's fill them up, you know, with wine. And he's taking these goblets and he's drinking them. And uh, he says, now let us praise and worship the God of gold. And they started doing that. And then they worshiped the God of silver. Then they worshiped the God of brass. 
and the God of iron and the God of all these uh, elements, you see. And they're drinking this wine out of these holy, these are holy uh, utensils of worship, if you would, from the tabernacle of, uh, of, of uh, Moses. What, you know what that's kind of like? It's kind of like the, the New Testament warning taking communion unworthily, only in spades, okay? And so they're drinking this, and all of a sudden they see this hand, and it's writing on the wall. It's the figure of speech that we use today. I've seen the writing on the wall. It goes, it's talking about that. And they can't tell what the hand is writing. So he brings up all his sorcerers and everything, and all his men of supposed wisdom, and they said, what's this? Tell me what this writing is. Nobody could tell. Nobody could, you could, you could just see the hand, half a hand writing on the wall. He says, well, I want to know what this writing is. And he says, if, I, if anybody can tell me what this writing is, he says, I'll give them more gold than they could ever imagine, more silver than they could ever imagine. And I would make them the third uh, uh, authority under me. And one of his wives, or his wife, uh, says to him, you know, there's this guy named uh, that was had great wisdom under Nebuchadnezzar. His name was Daniel, and he has uh, uh, he can tell. And so Daniel comes in there, and he says, uh, "I'll t- I can tell you what's on there, but I don't want any of your silver and your gold or anything. I don't want anything. I'll be third in the land. I don't want it." And he says, "It's Mane Mane to Caliparson. How many of you heard of that before? Mane Mane." To kill a parson. And he says, Mene, uh, Mene. There's all kinds of little um, different meanings that people think that are in those words. Uh, they think that it might be taken from, uh, you know, Persian words or whatever. But no matter what it is, they all say the same thing. And he says, You have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And so he says, uh, the the word mene mene actually is a it can be used as a number of fifty or sixty because mene a mene shekel shekel was worth uh, a mene was worth fifty. A parson means divided, and it says you have been weighed in the and it and it, it sometimes it says a parson sometimes it says uh, uh, something else but anyway it's a parson parson. Pres, hmm, skip it. Anyway, you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And he says, you're, basically, you're going to die soon, and your kingdom's going to be divided into two sections, and you're not even going to be here to see it happen. And then he still wants to give him the thing, I guess, but he realized he wasn't going to be here anyway. It didn't matter. But that's serious writing. That's serious. What were they doing? They were partying. And they were drinking out of holy garments, holy goblets and, and vessels. You know, I, I, I like this book I have on words. And the word fan, some of you might remember me sharing this before. But the word fan, which we talk about, he's a fan of this or fan of that. Fan of the giants, you know, a fan of whatever. Comes from the word fanticus. Okay? And originally it meant the temple, or inside the temple. And it just meant temple. Okay, And the word temple, if you were 
inside the temple, it was called uh, Fanticus, which means inside the temple. If you were outside the temple, it was called profane. We get our word profanity from it. You see, profane has the word. You know, uh, the word actual fan means temple. And originally, if you were a fanatic, that meant you were serious worshiper. You know, you were what that radically saved. But if you were profane and used profanity, it was profane. It was outside the temple. And interesting, the word sacrilegious or sacrilegious it means stolen from the temple. And this is what they were had right here. And it meant what they were doing was sacrilegious because those goblets of the same thing had been stolen. And that's what Daniel says, because you've taken those goblets and used them. You know, and that was the major crime that was being done there. And he says, you, you, you uh, sacrifice your life. You, you forfeit your life. And you're, you're this great, huge uh, nations of nations that you have is going to be divided. Now, what's my point there? If it wasn't important, why would God say it? You know, Tim Keller once said, and I've heard him in several of his sermons, and I really enjoy his sermons. And Tim Keller once said that he didn't believe in hell. Now, he's a pastor, he's a preacher, and he didn't believe in hell. And one of his mentors said to him, uh, Tim, if you don't understand and believe that there's a hell, you will never understand how much God loves you. And he didn't quite understand that at first, but later he, see, I, I kind of identified with Tim Keller when it comes to hell. I, I find it hard to believe in. I believe in it because the Bible says it. You know, Jesus, when it says there's a place where there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth and that there will be an eternal darkness and the fire will be so, you know, remember uh, Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man died when he talked about how horrible it was. Well, so, but here's the thing. And I, I talked a little bit about this last week. But the sin of Adam, the sin of mankind, God doesn't wink at it. He doesn't ignore it. He hates it. He hates sin so much. And when they drank out of these goblets and they were sacrilegious and profane, he judged them. Now that is important. One thing that is important for us to know that all the anger that God has to mankind and all of his uh, desire, I don't know if that's the right word, tempting to just wipe us out. He hates it. He hates, he, he has been, he created man to love him. And man has rejected him. There's, you know, if you think, uh, one of the things that I kind of kind of feel like that maybe I'm putting him into more of a human frame of mind. But Jeremiah does it like this. Jeremiah says this, and he's talking, to, this is God speaking through Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, I don't get it. 
No, that's actually when I, I said that. I don't get it. The heathens don't give up their gods. They worship false gods. And that's another thing. He was worshiping gold. He was worshiping silver, worshiping things. The heathens don't give up their false gods. But you, Israel, have given me up, have forsaken me, have, I don't get it. You, you got the one true God who has blessed you beyond imagination and you have forsaken me. Uh, what's, what's wrong with this picture? And what does he say? I see God in almost like a human-like, you know, uh, he is a God of anger. You know, Jonathan Edwards wrote a a sermon, gave a sermon, wrote a book called uh, The Man, uh, It's a Dangerous Thing for a Man to Be Fall into the Hands of an Angry God. It's called The Sinner in the Hand of an Angry God. The Sinner of of a Man, The Sinner Man in the Hands of an Angry God. God is angry. And we're we're in a world of trouble because I want to tell you something. We have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. When I say we, I'm talking about mankind. But uh, there's a good news. Good news is God hath laid on Jesus Christ, his son, the iniquity of us all. Hallelujah. Now, see, you see where I'm going with this? Because Tim Keller says, "Uh, I I don't know, I had trouble believing. And then he had a mentor say, until you've seen that there's a hell, you'll never be able to understand how much the love of God is. Until you've seen how angry God is with mankind, you'll never understand how much he loves you. Tim Keller had a lot of, lot of good things like, you know, men were so evil and his today that, he, that the only way that he could save him is he had to die for him. And what's really amazing is, and this is the conflict of God. What's really amazing is that God says uh, that he hates evil so much that the only way he could, that man could be possibly be acceptable to him is that he had to die for him in the place of his son, Jesus, Jesus Christ, the son. So here's, here's, the, here's the thing. Man was so evil that God had to die for him. On the other hand, man, God loved man so much that he was glad to die for him. It's just, you know, that, that, that just gets me. It's like, wow. And it gets you to understand that there's a hell and Jesus died to get you out of there. And to know what the sacrifice really was. And that you can never understand the love of God until you understand the anger of God. It is a fearful thing. That's the name of it. A fearful thing 
for a sinner to fall into the hands of an angry God. You say, well, where is that? It's actually in the Word, by the way. In the New Testament, it talks about it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. He, you know, uh, it's like uh, Wesley says in Princess Bride, uh, I am no one to be trifled with. You know, no one to be trifled with. God is no one to be trifled with. He, in, in the games, now back up. Mene, mene, to kill a parson. If it wasn't important, God would just say, well, I don't, I don't really care anything about those gold goblets anyway, or those silver goblets. That isn't the spiritual thing anyway. There's a spiritual need here. You know, eh, eh, it doesn't offend me. And yeah, by the way, they worship gold. They worship silver. Sound like anybody you know? Sound a little like me sometimes. I don't have any gold or silver, but doesn't keep you from worshiping it, does it? All right, now let's transfer this over into the New Testament and the things that God says. Before you can come into my presence, what was the first thing? Faith. What's the second thing? Grace, right? Now listen to this. Why are we wanting to come into a holy presence of the Lord? To, to, to come in be, before an almighty God. Let's vision, envision something. God and Jesus sitting. God here, Jesus here. Sitting here. Right now. And you are in the holy and holy of God. What, what's the purpose What's the purpose? Worship him? Praise him? Love him? Well, see, this is what I think. The worship and the praise and the thanksgiving, it's all part of the protocol, but it's not the purpose. The purpose is to love him with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. To love God with all your heart. Now you say, well, you know, and I made mention of this. Matthew 24 says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was naked and you clothed me. And so forth. He says that to the sheep and the goats. He says, I was hungry and you didn't visit me. You know, who we were talking about, if you went to hear George's uh, Sunday night, he talked about Keith Green. And Keith Green has this, um, had this song about Matthew 25, that whole thing. I was hungry, you fed me. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. And he says, the thing that that differentiated between what the goats and the calves did or did not do was what they did or did not do. You understand what I'm saying? You know, there actually talks about in Scripture two judgments. One of the judgments is the judgment seat of Christ where uh, you're going to be judged by whether or not Christ is in your. You have received Christ. You have confessed Christ to be your Lord and Savior. The other one is you're going to be judged by your works. So you're not going to go to hell, but you're still going to be judged by your works. All right. So 
you know, God is not unrighteous to forget our labor of love, but if he's, he's, he's not unrighteous also to remember our lack thereof. Hello? And so we are going into his purpose. There's two things. You, you can't love your neighbor as yourself till you've done the first one. Why? Well, let's just turn to Romans 8.28 real quick. Romans 8.28. If you haven't spent a day in his presence, you can. 8.28. Did I lose somebody up there? Oh, no, he fell asleep. (laughs) This is my grandson up there, and he's going, what, 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 what? (laughs) Do you know what I asked for? I was uh, talking about Proverbs 3. It says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Or Romans 8, 2, 8. Let's go back to 20, 26. For, whoa. Does anybody have some binoculars in here? Are you... Well, that's only that's not that much bigger. I'm just closer. Well, well, that's all right. I don't need to see it that well anyway. Okay, Romans eight. We all. How many of you love this scripture? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. All right. Did you get? First of all, I'm going to talk to you. Oh, he went back, huh? Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh inter- intercession himself, maketh intercession, that's not what it says, it says itself, but itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, that means uttered articulately, cannot be put into words that we can understand. And he that searcheth the hearts and knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, knoweth, he that searcheth hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for us, for the saints, according to the will of God. And, you see, you've got to go back to those previous verses to know what he's talking about. And we know that all things work together for good. I am not, and I do not... Uh, um, want to argue about it? Uh, I cannot don't, leave it up there, please. I don't want to. Uh, um, I, I just have a different perspective, all right? In the sovereign, I believe in the sovereignty of God, but I also believe that the sovereignty of God doesn't mean that He plays both sides of the chessboard. I believe He plays one side of the chessboard and wins, all right? The other side of the chessboard is the devil. And the devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy us. And all things, when it says all things, it doesn't mean all things the devil is doing. It means all things that God does. Right? Now, can he and or will he take what the devil is doing and turn for our good? Absolutely, he can do that. And he wants to do that. All right. But the first thing we wants us to do is to understand that God wants to uh, for us to have eternal values. 
God wants us to think that a day in his presence is greater than thousands elsewhere. Right? And one of the things is, is, well, Paul said this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You cannot come back and love God the way Matthew 25 is saying. You can't do it as to love, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love one another as, as God has also hath loved us and given himself for us. You cannot do that until you know God. And you cannot know God without spending time with God. And you cannot know how to spend time with God until you know what the word is. Because that's also another word, way that you know God. So what's the purpose of, of coming into his presence is to love him. Because when you love him, you will become like him. All right. So we know that all things of God, I'm going to put it in a word there. And I, I think I could d- defend that uh, of God work for good to them, first of all, who love God. You see, you know, we want to forget them. We all things work together for good. Happy, 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 happy. No, it's to them that love God, all right? And to them that are the called of his, you know, I believe everybody's called. So what does he mean? And to them that are called. And I'm going to add a little bit to to this, to them that know they're called. You see, and we know if you know you are called of God and you love God and you know he has a purpose for your life. What? Here's the deal, though. What is this purpose and what is this calling? It is to love him with all your heart. This is the first commandment. God wants us to love him with all our heart, mind, body, soul and spirit. That's the first commandment in order to know God. You have to spend time with God and love him with all your heart. And to do that, you have to come into his presence. And there is a preparation, you know, like we said, let every heart prepare him room. You know, you have to be prepared to go into the presence of God by faith, by love, by grace. You have faith and love and you believe in him. You know, one of the verses, Psalms that I talk about. Uh, it's Psalm uh, 16. In Psalm 16, it says, uh, I, I have the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. Uh, I shall not be moved. And I'll, I'll make a point in that, that he's saying uh, that he's at the, that makes him on the left hand. All right. And he says, uh, um, that, I, that I may, excuse me, uh, let's read it. I'm going to have to read it. Psalm 16, verse 8. Psalm 16. Okie dokie. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. My heart, my heart, my heart is glad. My glory rejoiceth. My flesh shall rest in hope. There you go. Therefore, my heart is glad. My, my glory rejoices and my flesh shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. How many of you know this is a scripture that Peter preaches talking about Christ and the being raised the third day? Thou will not leave my soul in hell. Now, people can make an argument that that's the grave, but I don't believe that it's just the grave. He went where we would go if we died in our sins. That thou mayst, uh, 
For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You see, and that corruption just isn't his body rotting away. That corruption is hell. And he says, God's going to raise him from the dead. Next verse. This is, this is called a messianic psalm because it's used in the New Testament to, to reveal uh, the Messiah, Christ. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Now you notice that he started on the left. The psalmist talking. You know, he is at my right hand. That makes him on the left. And then he goes, and then that will not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. And he's raised from the dead. And then it says, Jesus was raised from the dead and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You follow that so, so far? Okay, let's go back to Psalm uh, Romans 8. <laughs> all right, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What's our purpose? There are avenues and gifts and ways that we are going to live that God will use us according to the calling of God on your life and the purpose of God on your life. But it's all out of one thing, and that is to love God with all our heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. That is our purpose, all right? So we are called, what? To love God. Our purpose is to love God. And our life on earth, our purpose on earth comes out of that relationship. See, to be able... Now, let's go to the next next verse. Next verse. Oh, that is the next verse. Oh, thank you. I couldn't read it. So, uh, <laughs> next, uh, back, for, back up. Let's do it again. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> if I can get out the first few words, I can get it because I do know it by heart. For whom he did foreknow, them he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. How many of you want to be, be like the image of Jesus, image of his son? In order for that to happen, you have to spend time with the father. In order to spend time with the father, you have to go into his presence by the blood of Jesus. You enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. You, you enter in by the grace of God. You enter in by confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. You bow your knee before the Lordship of Jesus Christ because he says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You confess his Lordship, you believe. Now, what do you believe? You believe what the psalmist said that, uh, oh, oh Lord, I seek your face. He says, the Lord said to me, seek ye my face. I said to the Lord, your face will I seek. Your face will I seek. We seek the presence of God. The psalmist just talked. In thy presence, there's fullness of joy. But we're not seeking the fullness of joy. There is fullness of joy. We are seeking a fellowship, an intimacy with God. We just got through saying, he, you are my lover. You know, because there's no male, female things. It's a spiritual loving back. He loved you and now you love him back. And you get to know him. And when you get to know him, He's going to send you back, uh, you know, spiritually, you know, visually. He's going to send you back to having to love people. You can't love people. 
unless you've been conformed to the image of Christ. You can't do it. That's what being conformed to the image of Christ is. Now, these things to whom he did foreknow, them he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Christ, that we might be the firstborn, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He is our firstborn and we're the born, uh, born again after him. And the thing is, is these are the things that are working together for your good. Do you get it? You know, we, we, all bad things happen to us. And by the way, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So there is suffering. But the thing of it is, if you spend time in the presence of God, you don't care about the things of earth. You know what Paul said about suffering? He says, I count it but dung. Hello? So you, if you, once you, if a day in the presence of God is better than thousands elsewhere, it is far better than gold or silver or anything. So the things that are working together for our good is being predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It is, it's a, to, that he might be the firstborn. Next verse. Hello. Did we get? Well, that's all right. Just go on to the next verse anyway. What shall we then say to these things? Uh, I think we skipped a couple of verses, didn't we? We Huh? No one else is seeing it? Oh, that's right. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who could be against us? What things? What things? Did he say? Did we Did we say? That we are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. And this is what gets me. I'm just going to get it on here. Then I don't have to worry about it. Okay. <laughs> okay, dokie. Okay. Isn't this is going to work? Uh, I gotta get my, my what you call it out. All right, still not up there. I'll still do it. Okay, Romans eight twenty-eight. Here we go. <laughs> I put my glasses on. Is that one up there? Okay, now we're going to go through. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Whom he did foreknow. When did he know you? Before the world was created. I got half a dozen scriptures that says before the world was even created. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And them he did And whom he did predestinate, them he, them he also called. We would already said that before in Romans 8. And whom he called, them he justified. You know, one way of re- good remembering justified is justified, it's made righteous. The word justified and justification are different forms of saying righteous and righteousness. 
And when it says justified, way to remember it, it's just if you'd never sinned. Justified, never sinned. That's right. That's what it, that's what it means. And who, uh, not literally, but that's what them he glorified. How many of you know you glorified? One thing I remember Bob Mumford say, Bob Mumford always say, you know, I'm going to get some of you now, okay? You know, uh, if I hurt you, if I, if I hurt you real bad, forgive me, okay? Um, when God, when you, when God does something through you and someone thanks you, not me, it's God. No, what God said, just take it and say thank you and then give it to God, okay? But God glorifies you. You know, we are desired to give all our glory to God. We want to glorify God, but he glorifies you. You know, Bob Mumford once say, God, I don't, you know, there's a verse of scripture in the Old Testament that says, I will not share my glory with anybody. And he's talking about other gods in that that context. And and Bob says, you said you wouldn't share your glory with with, uh, another, is how it works. With another is the very word. And Bob Mumford said, and Bob says, and God says to Bob Mumford, Bob, you're not another. You are bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I share my glory with you, but not another God. Amen. Just say, say amen. So when somebody tries to give you compliment, you know, just remember, you don't have to say it's all God. Because God wants to share his glory with you. Next verse. And when we, uh, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? I'm going to get it up on here. It's tired of turning around. How, How come it isn't working anymore at all? Do you know? Okay, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not freely give us all things? Do you think that maybe the all things in this verse is the same all things that's in Romans 8, 28? All things work together for good. I think it is. Okay. So with Jesus, he freely gives us all things, all things of God. Okay. And then it says this, uh, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who shall lay anything to God's elects? What is it? What's the answer to that? Nobody, right? If God be, I'm messing up on this too. Let's go back to verse 31. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? The answer is a rhetorical question. Nobody. Paul says, I don't even judge myself. It is, it is God that justifieth. If God justifies you, who is, is, who condemns you? Who shall, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ Jesus that died, yea, rather, that was raised again from the dead, who is at the right hand of the throne of God, who also maketh intercession for us, who shall separate, who, excuse me, intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, shall anguish, 
I got New, New King James on it. Oh, ASV. No wonder it's different. Excuse me. <laughs> Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, shall famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Now, now, do you understand what this is saying? Those are not good things. Those are not the things, all things work together for good. Those are not things that Paul, uh, he's, he's, he's distinguishing them from the things of God. Now, does God help you through those things and those, those things? Absolutely. But the Bible says in James, uh, James 3, um, excuse me, James 1, it says, every, he says, be not deceived, brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of tor- turning. And he also says, let no man say when he's tested or tempted, I am tempted or God, because God doesn't tempt you to do evil. And that's what it says in James. And so it's, it's the same thing here. So all these horrible things separate, nothing shall separate you from God. They're the bad thing. Satan has come to kill, steal, and destroy. You, but I am come to give you life. He says that right after he says, I am the door to the sheepfold. We have to go through him to go into the presence of God. He is the doorway. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. That's the way into, but because of him, I can come in boldly, not haughty or pridefully, but I can come in boldly into the presence of God because I can make, find great grace to help in time of need. Hello. All right. It is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long. He's, that means we face death all day. It says, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Hallelujah. We are more than conquerors. And I'm telling you, in the middle of trials, you can be more than a conqueror. Paul and Silas was praying and praising and worshiping God, knee deep in dung, because they were in the very basement of the, in the worst cell they could find, put them in. That's what it says. And, you know, and they're in there praising God. Would you be doing that? Would you? I, I'm going to be honest. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I trust the Lord that I could. That he would, uh, in my weakness, his strength could be made perfect, as he said. But that's, uh, that's, that's exactly what they were doing. And you know, the jailer woke up and found all the cell do- doors open and he was going to kill himself. Do you know why the jailer was going to kill himself? Because the jailer, it was a law that if he, any of them escaped, he would do their time. Which means he's going to go down into the dungeon. Hello? And Paul says, stay your hand. None of us have escaped. None of us has left. And a great revival happened in Philippi. Let's pray. Hallelujah. There's a reason to come into the presence of God. And those reasons, it says, God says in Isaiah 1, come, let us reason together. 
Let us reason together. The word reason in the New Testament is often, it comes from the Greek word logikos. We get our word logo, it comes from the word logo, logikos, the word reason. It is reasonable to present our bodies a living sacrifice. God has a reasonable protocol which comes into his presence. And it's all related to what Jesus Christ did for us when he was crucified and raised from the dead. You see, first thing I do in faith is I believe that God, what God says, I am raised with him and seated him at the right hand of the throne of God. I believe it. Believe it. Why not? What do you got to lose? Believe that you're seated in Christ in heavenly places. By faith, believe it. You know, one of the one of the definitions of the word meditate is the word imagine. You know, not vain glory, not vain things, but imagine the things of God, like the song, if I could I can only imagine. With your spiritual man, your inner man, the inner man of the heart, imagine that you can go into a whole, you know, uh that you are nothing. And nobody can go into the holy, great king of all, the creator of the universe. You know, that's what we are without Christ. I'm not talk, talking down to you. I'm, you know, I, I, the song, I, I who am nothing, I, I who have no one. That's a, that's a song for all mankind without Christ. But in Christ, I'm loved. In Christ, I'm holy. In Christ, I've been glorified. I have been justified. I am called. I have a purpose, a holy purpose in Jesus Christ. And the first purpose I have is that I, this little old Texan, maybe not so little, but this Texan can go into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God, because I have a Savior, Jesus Christ. I have a Holy Spirit that is interceding for me. I have uh, access by Spirit into His presence, and I have I can go through the door, because Jesus is the door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And I can come in to a holy God, and I can love Him. And I can say, God, I love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. And spend time with God and be conformed, be changed, conformed. Yes, I've been changed when I'm born again. I'm born again of incorruptible seed by the word of God, which lives and abides forever, which is another reason I can go in and love him. And then I can come back to earth and love him. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus, that you laid all the wrath, that you are so angry with man, but you are not angry with us. What shall we? Nothing can separate us from your love. Not tribulations, not powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from your love. Hallelujah. Now that's good. Those are good things. That's working together for my good. That is my good. And I, and I say, what do I have except you in heaven and being with you? I desire nothing on earth. 
Well, sometimes that isn't true, Lord. Sometimes that isn't true. But that's what I want. I want to love you. I want to be with you. I want to worship you. I want to be like you. I want to be like Jesus. I want to know you. I want to know the power of your resurrection. And I know the, I want to know the fellowship of my Lord and Savior's suffering. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Amen.